It's the Veterans Radio Hour. Brought to you by Dallas Corporation for all your corporate printing needs. And by GIM Productions, creating internet solutions. Websites can do that. Now, stay tuned. The Veterans Radio Hour is next on the Veterans Radio Network. Tango Charlie Bravo, you're a go for the Veterans Hour. So your company has a website. We are all familiar with how the web can be used to showcase information. But did you know the web can also be used as a medium to actually do something to help your business? GIN Productions delivers custom web-based technology and applications to meet the needs of your company. We have the experience and the expertise to deliver web applications, e-commerce solutions, and interactive multimedia. GIN Productions can help you in making difficult technology decisions. We work to make web technology work for your company and we will be there along the way to support you as you grow. Our comprehensive team includes talented programmers, software developers, graphic designers, and network specialists that strive to bring you the best. Contact us at our toll-free number 1-887-256-6914 or email us at info at GIMproductions.com. Websites can do that. Welcome, one and all, to the Veterans Radio Hour. It's our tribute to all of those who served our great nation's armed forces, past and present, and their tremendous accounts of heroic duty and bravery. With your host, Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, coming to you live from our Veterans Center studio, here is General Dave. Good evening. As we come to the end of 2002, we're going to have a wrap-up show tonight. We're going to talk about uh, the highlights of our past 16 shows. We're going to talk about some of those starting on September 8th of this year. Uh, tonight at the table, uh, it's really the guys that put the show together. The Veterans Radio Center here to produce the radio, uh, the Veterans Radio Hour. Lance Hack, the executive producer. Lambert Mathias, the technical director, Kenny DeCamp, the senior producer, Carl King, the engineer, Mark Eli, the webmaster, and John Botaw, executive director of the 1st Infantry Division Museum, a veteran of the 1st Squadron, 11th Cavalry in Vietnam. Uh, the shows, you may have remembered some of them, those that have listened before. We started out with honoring our veterans, and then we went into the prisoner of war, missing in action, recognition, What's Being Done for Disabled Veterans, Today's Military Training, Mogadishu, uh, Somalia, uh, Black Hawk Down, uh, The Draft or National Service, Veterans Health Benefits, Today's Department of Veterans Affairs, Monuments Honoring Fallen Americans, Memories of Those Who Served, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, The Book, The Movie, The Action. Lessons Learned or Not During the Gulf War, Homeland Security and the use of our military's reserve forces. Pearl Harbor, World War II veterans lost benefits. Preserving veterans stories, the holidays and veteran stories, and then tonight, again, the summary, a wrap-up of those highlights. Uh, we have some great audience guests with us here in the center tonight. I'd like to highlight just a few of those tonight. Jack uh, Ponstein, Dog Company. Uh, 2nd Battalion, 28th Marines, 5th Marine Division, World War II, Iwo Jima, and other actions. And Mario uh, Kerman, Vietnam veteran, United States Army. So tonight, uh, we're going to hit some of those highlights. I think some of you are going to remember them, and uh, we're going to have a good time tonight with the, the members of the Veterans Radio Center. Kenny. Thank you, General Dave. If you're listening to us over the stream on the Internet, Go down to the left on our home page and tie into the discussion board so you can do live chat room with us as the show continues. On the radio, dial 866-928-2329, toll free, and ask your questions to General Dave and to our panel tonight on uh, the best of the Veterans Radio Hour 2002. General Dave. Okay, uh, I want the dedication tonight 
uh, is not to a, a fallen comrade. And my wife Holly's going to love this because the uh, it's about those that support the military. Um, it's the dedications to a Mary Kay Solomon. She's a wife, a mother, a daughter, and a sister of West Point graduates. So uh, a lot of uh, military experience in that family, obviously. She runs what's known as the Army of Angels. They send thousands of boxes of goodies to troops in Afghanistan and elsewhere in spite of the Defense Department's moratorium on any service member mail programs due to safety and logistical concerns. She does it anyway. Uh, and she does this through uh, family members of those that are deployed. They have sent more than 30,000 pounds of snacks, cocoa, hand and foot warmers, decorations for Christmas, and other items to four deployed soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines uh, since February of uh, 2002. They spent thousands of dollars. They worked out the initial logistics and the safety issues with the command chaplain of the Army Materiel Command. They devised a system to get the goodies to the troops while making sure that they're safe. Boxes are addressed to specific individuals who know they're coming and from whom. Many are addressed to chaplains, and chaplains open them to check them out, make sure they're safe, and each box is sent must be, that, that is sent must be packed or overseen by a soldier's family member. And when the soldiers get these goodies, what they do is they share them they share them with the locals in Afghanistan or wherever country that our service members are deployed. They share them with the people that they're supporting. A great program, and we want to dedicate this show to Mary Kay Solomon and the Army of Angels. Here's today's military quote of the day, brought to you with support from retired Lieutenant Colonel Dan Bogievich. All right, Dan, I want you to make sure, make sure you understand that even though I have a Beretta shirt on, Beretta, you know, like pistols, uh, shotguns, etc. And I am an NRA member. This is not an NRA, NRA uh, commercial. This is just that Beretta, the the actor. <laughs> Please, no, it's the Beretta that uh, uh, smells of cordite. Okay, now uh, these are the United States Marine Corps and Navy rules of gunfighting, and I just want to cover a few of these. Uh, some of you may know these uh, already. Uh, let me give you just three of them tonight. Only hits count. The only thing worse than a miss is a slow miss. Number two, if your shooting stance is good, you're probably not moving fast enough nor using cover correctly. And number three, in 10 years, nobody will remember the details of the caliber, the stance, or the tactics. They will only remember who lived. You're listening to the Veterans Hour with retired Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, back to the broadcast. All right, with our guest tonight at the table, uh, we're going to go back to a couple of shows. The first one we want to go back to is, uh, if you remember the one we did on We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Oh, that's the book. If it was the movie, We Were Soldiers. Um, Hal Moore, uh, the, the uh, battalion commander, 1st of 7th Cavalry, uh, Idrang Valley in Vietnam, one of the first actions of the war, uh, really using helicopter tactics with the, uh, the infantry, the ground troops. Uh, we also had Joe Galloway, the correspondent, Four tours in Vietnam, uh, a hero correspondent in my mind, and I know, with the, in the mind of the members in this at this table, uh, Wallace, the director of the movie, he came online with us, and it was a great show. And we want to just replay a little bit of that with you. My hope is that the American family can heal wounds that have been there since Vietnam. We're moving into the valley of the shadow of death. Where you will watch the back of the man next to you as he will watch yours. I can't promise you that I will bring you all home alive. But this, I swear, I will be the first to set foot on the field and I'll be the last to step off and I will leave no one behind. We will all come home together. So help me God. Who the hell are you? I'm a reporter, sir. Joe Galloway, UPI. How's it going, Colonel? Well, we've been flat to the board since last night. We're greatly outnumbered. Well, I can't guarantee your safety. Yes, sir, I know. Can't take no pictures lying down there, Sonny. 
We who have seen will never stop seeing. In the silence of the night, we will always hear the screams. So this is our story. But we were soldiers once. And young. Yeah, there was a lot of crappy movies that came out about Vietnam that pissed me off, I'll tell you right now. But this movie was, was an accurate movie. It was a good movie, just like Black Hawk Down, just like uh, Saving Private Ryan. And it's about time movies were produced that recognize the, the heroics, the sacrifice, the dedication, the suffering of American GIs. And, uh, and those that served in Vietnam, uh, Vietnam, there were some problems in Vietnam. The problems in Vietnam was the administration. The problems in Vietnam was some of the senior generals that ran it, and uh, but there was no problem. There was no problem at all with the troopers that fought Vietnam. And in my presence, and in the presence of those that I know that were veterans of Vietnam, don't ever criticize the soldier experience uh, of those veterans. Uh, because one thing about Vietnam that uh, did pay off, that was worth it, was that you learned from what you did right, you learned from what you did wrong, and if you were, I think, smart enough, you took that throughout the rest of your military career, and you applied what you learned to take care of soldiers, accomplish your mission in a better way that you would have if you didn't have that experience. At least that's what I learned. And so I'd like to turn now to one of our guests, John Vota, Executive Director of the 1st Infantry Division Museum, a veteran of, veteran of Vietnam, 11th Cavalry Division. And John, what's, what's your feel on, uh, we were soldiers once, uh, Vietnam veterans, just whatever. Good to it. Well, I think you were on target with uh, your comments about the veterans. Um, the soldiers I worked with, I was an armored cavalry troop commander. And uh, by and large, uh, those uh, young soldiers would do exactly what uh, you asked them to do. And they do their level best to try and do it to the best of their ability. Uh, so it was up to the leaders, and that's really what Soldiers Once and Young was about, up to the leaders to make sure that they were on their game, because uh, when mistakes are made in battle, uh, people get hurt. And so uh, I, I think the thing that I like most about the book, uh, all films are just an approximation of reality, uh, so uh, some are better than others, and I agree with you on that. The book is excellent. And there was actually a television documentary that was done uh, before the film came out that I thought was excellent. I remember specifically, uh, I think the son of Howard K. Smith uh, was a member of that unit. And uh, he related his accounts. They went back to the battle area and related this, walked the ground, met with the Vietnamese opponents. And uh, it, was, it was really uh, authentic. And that's the thing that I liked about the book as well. You got the feel of battle. You got the feel of the soldiers. And uh, I think it's one of the great books uh, about Vietnam. Yeah, and, and I agree. And just for those that may not know this, that that book is on uh, the reading list of the non-commissioned officers, the sergeants that are in training in our military as well as our officer corps uh, for future operations. Now, on I want to go to uh, another piece on the show with Joe Galloway. Now, I think Joe Galloway, as a correspondent, uh, and Lance, you remember meeting him. Uh, this guy, not only, uh, he, he's the only correspondent that got a Valor Award, by the way, from the Army. Isn't that right, John? That's right. Yeah, only one. Uh, Bronze Star V, I believe, for Valor. And uh, when you, the relationship between the military and the media, there's always this talk you see on, on, on television, uh, there's articles on it. In fact, we ran some conferences with the McCormick Tribune Foundation on the uh, relationship between the military and the media. But Joe Galloway's got it down. He knows how to establish the trust, the confidence, the communication that's required between the military and the media to tell the truth, to get the story out about the GI. And I want to take, we want to go to take a cut of that and talk about close fire support, air or artillery or mortar, the importance of close support. Hit it. 12 guns, 105 millimeter howitzers. The first day they fired 4,000 rounds alone. What's your feeling, Joe, about close-in fire support? I love it. <laughs> I love it. I tell you, it, it kept us alive. Uh, uh, General Moore can testify to that. I believe over those three days, the artillery fired 18,000-plus rounds of 105 howitzer. 
And uh, however bad it was for us, it was a hell of a lot worse for the guys on the other side because they had to walk through a wall of steel to get to us. And it was tough. And, and the air support was, was equally impressive. Uh, on the second morning, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, L Lieutenant Charlie Hastings, the forward observer, Air Force guy, pilot, was really getting his wet feet wet with the infantry, and uh, and and when it things were d at their darkest, uh, he called uh, Broken Arrow, uh, American unit in danger of being overrun, and every available aircraft in South Vietnam was diverted to our our control, stacked them up from 7,000 feet to 35,000 feet, and poured the bombs and napalms on us. Yeah, I think uh, there's, a, there's a, let me grab an email that just came in. Uh, the email says, you're missing the point. You walk away from the movie we were soldiers thinking men on the ground were not needed and we could have killed more bad guys with airstrikes. If you don't mention the fact that the North Vietnamese Army were trying to cut Vietnam into two. Um, they were. That was, that was the, uh, well, that was the original aim uh, was to bait a, trap at, at play me spe by besieging play me special forces camp drawing in the arvin ambushing them killing them and then their way would be open to play coup and on down route 19 to the coast but in point of fact their plan was was messed up by the arrival of the first cab uh lance uh, lambert now you saw the movie i take it Okay, now, do you remember bringing a napalm and the things that came in really close? In fact, some friendly casualties happened during the fight? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, we don't have that anymore. I want you to know that. Right now, uh, for instance, Anaconda in mm -hmm. Afghanistan, if you talk to some of the people that just came back, mm -hmm. this close air support was at 10,000 feet. And uh, very difficult to bring it in. And what the enemy does right now today is they hug our troops. They hug the line mm -hmm. because they know we have a hard, pro uh, a hard time bringing the stuff in close. It's precision gun munitions, usually at targets uh, picked out very early or, or before the fight actually starts. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it can be done, but it's much more difficult than it was in what you saw in that movie. Do and we still have uh, Broken Arrow? Uh, there's different code names for that, but it, it's not really the same kind of thing because that's set up where you have mm -hmm. a camp that may be overrun. And we haven't been in too many situations where anybody can overrun us lately. Right. As far as the accuracy of the uh, in Vietnam, you know, the accuracy of, uh, of hits, uh, you know, to keep the fire close. I mean, was uh, you know compared to today, it had to be, you know, uh, you know, to keep it close to the troops without hitting hitting guys. You know. Yeah, and 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 in those days, a lieutenant, all you gave was your initials, and you can bring it in mm -hmm. very close to you. Today, you have to have an Air Force guy on the ground with an Army guy in order to do it. Bill Carpenter wow. actually had to bring it right in, almost on his own position. On and a lot of, and a lot of forces, like John said, a lot of forces in Vietnam actually had to bring it on their own position. And in fact, if you remember the movie, that platoon brought artillery in their own position. Mm -hmm. That lost platoon that was out there by itself mm -hmm. uh, in the movie. Okay, I need, we need to go to one other cut real quick. And this talks about, you know, we had a show, we talked about, should we have the draft again? Mm -hmm. Should we have some sort of national service? And what we wanted, and we had, you remember Charlie Moscos for Northwestern University mm -hmm. was on sure. and some other people to talk about the, the importance of that. Let, let's do a cut on that. Let's get Hal Moore, Colonel Hal Moore from this fight, his attitude on the draftee GI. And I would prefer to, to comment on the draftees who fought that war for life or death ending in 12 months if they live in an interminable war without an intelligible goal. And we've got those men across America today, and they're ready to go into battle, and I hope that our leaders uh, send them into, into, into battle with an, an intelligible goal, one that, one that we can get out of with a good exit strategy. And this movie that Randy Wallace has produced has showed the intensity of battle. It showed my respect for the enemy. It showed the tragic back home when those telegrams arrived, and it showed the fact that our troops fight for each other. And that's what I hope uh, comes across to the American people. When we send people into war, send them there with an intelligible mission and one that we can accomplish and then get the hell out of there. Oh, okay, now from Hal Moore, one thing you said that's very critical. One is that uh, they fight for each other. Well, I'd be honest with you, that doesn't matter if they're a, uh, a draftee or volunteer. Uh, that's the GI. 
uh, the bond that they establish, the brotherhood, they fight for each other. That's that's something that uh, is very powerful in our in our military. Now, uh, let's talk. I want to talk. Bring on a Congressional Medal of Honor recipient, Al Lynch, in the Chicago area, who's on our program, and I want to get his cut and what he said about should we have a draft or not. Let me go to another guest we have on, Mr. Al Lynch, Medal of Honor winner, recipient, with the First Cavalry Division in Vietnam. He's now the policy advisor for the, the Illinois uh, Attorney General. And I would like to ask uh, Mr. Al Lynch his feeling on a draft. Sir? Well, I'm, uh, I'm for a universal draft. I think that anybody that uh, graduates from high school, uh, 30 days upon graduation, should spend the next two years in boots men, women, and even disabled. You see disabled people skiing down hills and playing tennis and doing all kinds of things. I think that gives us a vested interest in this country. We all have to serve, rich, poor, black, white, Latino, doesn't matter. It gives okay. us the right of citizenship. Yeah. You made a comment if there is a draft to include women, why? Equals equal. Not some are more equal than others. Women are considered equal by law, except for the draft. No, everybody goes. So you're saying if we have a draft, it's everybody? Everybody, no deferments, equal across the board, rich, poor. College, it doesn't matter. No, no, you don't go college first. You go to the military first for two years. If you serve in the military, if you have to go to a, a battalion or something that works in a VA hospital or whatever, that's fine, but you do go to the military. Everybody has a vested interest in this country. Okay, well, you heard his view, and uh, that was discussed on here, and, and draft, national service. Uh, surely something should be done. No, you just can't lay on your butt and get everything you want from the United States and not participate somehow. Anyway, uh, Kenny, what are we doing now? We're going to talk about uh, some of the support we've been receiving um, for the Veterans Radio Hour down in Sarasota, Florida. We've got a large group of people down there uh, supported by Bill and Jean Clare on WLSS out of uh, the Sarasota region. Uh, also, Pat Cutchins, we have to thank her for all the cookies and cakes she's been bringing week after week after week, you know. A little bit of Rocco's Pizza that's helped out with us up here. Uh, Dan Leonard, our U.S. Marine vet that uh, is always working the, uh, the, the audience board for us. Uh, I have to give a special hat off to the number one guest uh, participant we have. She's always here, Lieutenant Commander Retired uh, Adrian Rub Rubin. Kowski, who's always here with us show after show after show. Can't find out how, how far she flew. And big uh, Steve Sumsky, who flew in once again from uh, Washington State to be with us. I think he's got a good little story we'll tell later on. We also want to recognize Military.com, who has become a partner of ours, and the National Vietnam Veterans Art Museum in Chicago. Thanking, of course, the City of Chicago Veterans Council. Now I let you know, next week's show, the Rangers, this is going to be a special one for General Dave, being the seventh commander of the Rangers. We're going to have a special guest, Captain Ralph Gorenson, happens to be the man that led that attack at uh, Omaha Beach. He's going to be on the show with us. You might remember him, uh, well, Private Ryan played him. So be here with our show next week, and we're off. We'll be back after this break. You're listening to the Veterans Hour on the Talk, 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 Talk Radio Network. The Veterans Hour now returns to full readiness on the TRN Talk Radio Network. The Veterans Radio Hour salutes the Active Service Person of the Week, made possible through the support of Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. As they say, PBR me, ASAP. Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, available at your local retail outlet. Okay, tonight we got a Marine, United States Marine Corps Corporal Jonathan Kirchner, 25-year-old recon Marine. He was a part-time student working full-time for a computer company before he joined up. Jonathan is assigned to Camp Pendleton, but currently deployed with the 11th Marine Expeditionary Unit, SOC, which means Special Ops Capable, on the USS Bella Wood. His missions that he may conduct on his mission is non-combatant evacuation operations of something like a U.S. Embassy, in extremist counterterrorism operation, combat operations of any sort, humanitarian assistance and reconnaissance. Good luck, Jonathan. 
You're tuned to the Veterans Radio Hour with retired General Dave Grange, coming to you from the Veterans Center Studio. And now, back to the show. Okay. General Dave, I yeah. have to interrupt you for oh, one minute. Oh, come on. What do you mean? Yeah. Everybody out here, this is General Dave's birthday. All right. All right. Here, here. What a special day to end our dip. And then look at that cake. Hey, uh, one, two, three. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday on the air, live. Happy uh, Dave Grange birthday you. party. Happy birthday, dear General. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Very nice. Thank you. Cake with a few soldiers marching Those across. Are, it looks good. Make a wish Those are uh, special wishes. Uh, <laughs> by the way. I can't make the wish out loud. Okay, you can take it now. Back to one of our cuts here. <laughs> Never seen a cake in camera. No, no, well, I'm, I'm not synchronized. I don't right. know if I can operate. All right. We're going to go to a uh, talk about a little bit more about Vietnam and tie Vietnam to service today. And we're going to take a, a guy that. Uh, Used to serve. Uh, I used to serve with uh, West Point graduate uh, commands the quarter cav, uh, McMaster, a Colonel McMaster, uh, cavalryman, and uh, we're going to take a cut back in time to a past show and talk to him about the service today and yesterday. And in Germany, we have with us today, and this is a great privilege, Lieutenant Colonel H. R. McMaster. He's the commander, the squadron commander of the first of the fourth cavalry called quarter cav who's the eyes and ears of the 1st Infantry Division, otherwise known as the Big Red One. He's also the author of a very good book, a bit controversial but honest, called Dereliction of Duty. And it talks about uh, how the military and political leadership handled the Vietnam War. And so uh, we're bringing him on today. How are you, H.R.? Great, sir. It's an honor to be here. Well, thanks for joining Veterans Hour. And I know a lot of the veterans and the American people uh, appreciate you being with us today. Uh, you wrote a great book. Uh, it went to the heart of a lot of the problems. But before I get into that, uh, how's the morale of the quarter cab? What's the, what's the status of your squadron? So our, our morale is, is sky high, and, and all of us are aware that you know, our nation is a war. We've been confronted with a, with a new and, uh, and tough threat to our security and, and American lives. And, uh, and all of us are just proud uh, to serve our country in this time. It's good to hear that, and I know a lot of the veterans, uh, they want to hear positive, no-kidding stories about their fellow Americans that are serving today overseas. Reference uh, the book, you know, Dereliction of Duty, you bring out some, some points about uh, some uh, five silent men where they didn't stand up to some of the uh, political leadership, other agendas besides winning a war. And, you know, I've always thought, you know, you're going to send me, my men, into harm's way. By God, do it to win. Don't send us into harm's way if we're not there to win the fight. And uh, what would you say the difference is between how we ran the Vietnam War and how we're running the war today? Sir, I think our senior leaders have learned a lot uh, from that, uh, that difficult and in many ways disappointing uh, experience in Vietnam. Uh, the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff in this period of time in which that war became an American war, instead of raising objections to a strategy they knew was fundamentally flawed, they took sort of a foot-in-the-door approach, just get the first bombing runs in, get the first Marines and soldiers deployed, and then they, what they'd hope to do is argue for more resolute military action, less restrictions on the use of force over time. All right, now, uh, we left McMaster, we left the quarter calf, 1st Infantry Division, and, and what I want to do now is uh, get a couple comments uh, from a past show about why we do memorials, why we, the World War II memorial, why that's important to, uh, to, uh, to our heritage, our, le our legacy. This part of the uh, show, I'd like to bring in another General Dave Grange, my dad. How you doing, Dad? Doing fine, David. Good. I appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, a lot of veterans out there listening to the show, and I believe we have a guy on, Dr. John Mernan. Are you there, John? Yes, I am, General. How you doing? Doing good. Good, good. Dave's fine, too. That's okay. Uh, what's uh, what's your interest in veterans? You got any connectivity there? Well, yeah. I'm, I have uh, 13 members of my family, aunts, uncles, fathers, grandfathers who have served in the war. I have two small children, and they sleep without fear in a warm home. Not a day goes by where I don't have a profound sense of gratitude to the, to the men and women of the armed services who are the ones who make that possible. Uh, so it's a real privilege to have this opportunity to call in here uh, with a couple of questions. Okay, so you got uh, a couple of questions for General Dave Grange, Sr. That's right. All right, go ahead. General Grange, it's a privilege. Uh, 
I wanted to, on that note of gratitude, uh, the uh, men and women of World War II have been called the greatest generation, and not only has this country enjoyed the fruits of their sacrifice uh, for well over half a century, but the world has, in fact, yet we still don't have a World War II memorial to honor their service. Uh, can you tell me, why has it taken so long? John, that's a great question. You know, I have, I have thought about that ever since 1945 when, uh, when I came home from Europe and why it did take so long. And uh, I was even more bewildered when I stayed in the Army and traveled around the world and visited uh, the countries of uh, our allies during that, that war, that the tremendous war, and uh, visited their homelands and went to their memorials, uh, saw their war museums and all the other ways in which they, they have recognized the sacrifices of uh, the service people of World War II. And, and I don't know why it took so long. You know, I just hope that uh, that we move out on this, and I'm around to finally see the uh, fruition of, of all the efforts and the sacrifices of World War II. It's long overdue, John. Okay. Well, there's a there's a couple examples of some past shows talking about the issue. Uh, we got another guest that just came up to uh, to our table, uh, Steve Sumsky, and, and you you have a story to relate to us about a hero from which war? Uh, World War II. There you go. That follows my dad. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, this is a story about a friend of the family, uh, Daniel T. Lilly. Uh, Daniel Lilly was part of Lucian Truscott's uh, 3rd Infantry Division, Rock of the Marne, that made the in, uh, uh, invasion around Italy on January 14, 1944. And, uh, well, that's another story about the 3rd. But anyway, when they landed, uh, they went into the outskirts of Rome and then reported back to their uh, divisional commander and said there was no Germans. But uh, in the preceding months, they, uh, you know, had very uh, several fights. But on one occasion, uh, Private First Class Daniel T. Lilly of Easy Company, 2nd Battalion, 7th Infantry Regiment, 3rd Infantry Division, on the morning of May 23rd, uh, 1944, at 11 a.m., there was a counterattack uh, on their position by an art, uh, German artillery, which push, uh, pushed their company back uh, to a uh, farmhouse, and then uh, uh, from then on pushed them back. Well, Dan couldn't make the uh, back uh, comeback, so he hit into a ravine, and as the Germans advanced, they took the farmhouse. There was a counterattack on that German position. And uh, as they were coming out of the farmhouse, uh, Dan uh, Lilly, who carried a grease gun or a submachine gun, just fired a, a burst right in front of about 11 people, 11 Germans with uh, one uh, second Louis. And they threw up their hands and surrendered. And uh, they got a position on where the uh, German gun was. He was awarded the Silver Star. All right. Great. Great story. And uh, again, tied to to a World War II veteran and, uh, and long overdue to get the World War II Memorial put into place. Now, the McCormick Tribune Foundation is tied into, uh, into, into recognizing uh, and supporting memorials uh, with the uh, American uh, uh, Battle, Battlefield Monument Commission. Uh, John, uh, talk about the uh, foundation's role in that. We've been uh, working with the American veterans, uh, formerly known as the AMVETS, they just had their name officially changed, uh, will be our 10th year in 2003 in jointly placing uh, Bell Carillons in the overseas American cemeteries. And uh, we've done nine together so far, and the McCormick Tribune Foundation funds the project and participates in the ceremony which the American veterans uh, design, and the American Battle Monuments Commission accepts the Bell Carillons and there, as I said, 10 of them now that are uh, ringing uh, across American cemeteries in, in Europe. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful addition to those beautifully maintained and tranquil uh, settings overseas. Yeah, it's a beautiful project, and we're proud to be a part of it. Now we're going to go from uh, talking about uh, World War II uh, monuments, memorials, cemeteries, and we're going to go to more present day, 1993, and the Horn of Africa. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Mogadishu. And uh, we had some uh, wounded rangers. Uh, used to be a part of my outfit in here. And uh, we talked about Black Hawk Down. We got a Black Hawk Down. We got a Black Hawk Down. Super 6-1 is down. We got a bird down in the city. Get an MH6 on site. Check for survivors. Danny, no one gets left behind. You understand me, son? Yes, General. All right, gather around. My Duran 6-4 is down. 
We're going back in to get him. That's crazy. Is there anyone alive on that? It doesn't matter. No one gets left behind. You know that. You're going back in? There's still men out there. People ask me, why do you do it, man? Just some kind of war junkie. They want to understand it's about the men next to you. And that's it. That's all it is. Okay, now, fear, combat. How do you handle situations like this? Many of you read the book, saw the movie. How do you handle that? And we're going to go into an interview we had talking about fear. Right now, we're bringing in Cadet Matt Sunderland. He's up uh, at West Point at the United States Military Academy. He's a senior. Going to graduate soon and be commissioned as a lieutenant of the United States Army. Where are you originally from? So I'm originally from Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, I appreciate you calling in today. I understand you have a question for Veterans Hour. Uh, yes, sir. Sir, my question today uh, deals with fear in combat. Uh, specifically, I was wondering how you dealt with and overcame the uh, fear associated with combat that you had to deal with um, with respect to yourself and your troops. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, let me answer it uh, not only for myself, but some of the people I know that feel the same way that I do about the uh, fear and what do you do about fear as a, as a soldier or sailor, marine, airman, uh, whatever the case may be. I don't know of anybody in my 30 years of service that was not afraid. Uh, everybody I know has been scared. I've always been scared, whether it's under fire or if it's uh, because of uh, the situation you're in, like the means of infiltration. When you leave a parachute door, when you step off the ramp of a helicopter in a landing zone, when you cross the line of departure in an armored personnel carrier of some sort, you're scared. And I think what is really important is uh, that's okay. It's okay to be afraid. Because if you're afraid, that means you don't want to die and you don't want your people to die. So that's good. But I think what's important is the ability to handle it, to control fear. You have to be trained. You have to develop the capability to control fear. And uh, what, you, what you need to do, what I'd recommend, is uh, think about it. Think about the situations you've been in that have been very tough in your lifetime, whether it be in sports, whether it be uh, family situations, and whether it be in a job. Yes, sir. And associate that to the military, but then talk to some old veterans, some veterans that have been there, smelled cordite, been under fire, and talk to them uh, as much as you can, old sergeants in your unit, whatever, about how to handle fear, and uh, it'll it'll come to you, and you'll do just fine. Thank you very much, sir. Hua. At ease, soldier. The Veterans Hour with General Dave will settle in again after a short break. Break on the Talk Radio Network. Mates, the Veterans Radio Hour now continues full speed ahead on the Talk Radio Network. Aye, aye, sir. All right, is that me? I'm sorry, I was asleep at the switch. I had water in my foxhole. Sergeant Grunt got lost. Okay, in some of the past shows, we've, I guess about the past four, we've talked about uh, correspondent heroes, uh, correspondents that the GI trust, uh, that tells a GI story. And tonight, you know, last week, or uh, week before last, we did Walter Cronkite, who parachuted in with the uh, 82nd Airborne. Now this week, we're going to talk about Ernie Powell. And many of you know Ernie Powell. He told parents, family members, sweethearts, and the rest of the nation what our young men were doing, always mentioning them by name and address. He described what they ate, their gripes, their exhaustion, Lack of sleep, terror, savagery, the stenches, the bloated corpses, cordite, the endless fear, the longing thoughts of home, the humor, and moments of exhilaration. Although he covered various branches of service, he was bound by duty and sentiment to the frontline infantrymen from all of the hell holes of North Africa, Sicily, Italy, and France, and actually later in the Pacific. He shared the trials and tribulations of the infantrymen. Enduring the heat, the cold, the rain, the snow, the mud, washing clothes and bathing from a helmet, often confined to wet and infested foxholes, catching moments of sleep on the ground, in trucks, or wherever one could spread a blanket or shelter half. Ernie Powell accompanied infantrymen on D-Day and covered the hedgerows and street fights in Normandy. He requested and was granted a transfer to the Pacific after he was done in that theater to cover the remainder of the war against the Japanese. He served along among the GIs of the 77th Statue of Liberty Infantry Division 
in the battle for Okinawa, a sniper's bullet had his name on it. When he was buried, a grave marker was put up with the inscription that read, at this spot, the 77th Infantry Division lost a buddy. Ernie Powell, 19 April, 1945. The great correspondent, mm. friend of the GI there, Ken. You're listening to the Veterans Hour with retired Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, back to the broadcast. Okay, so in the last uh, third segment here, a couple of things I'd like to bring up uh, in final. First of all, when somebody comes into the military, whether it be uh, someone that's commissioned as an officer at ROTC, West Point, Officer Candidate School, known as OCS, uh, some uh, recruit uh, through basic training, um, what do you tell them? What do you do with that new, uh, that new enlistee? Um, here's uh, a comment from someone from one of our past shows, Josh Novak. Josh Novak. Okay, w welcome back to Veterans Hour, and we have uh, another call in uh, from Wheaton, Illinois. Josh Novak, I believe, is a uh, member of Wheaton uh, ROTC, Reserve Officer Training uh, Corps. And Josh, what can we do for you today? Uh, hello, sir. I wanted to ask a question. Uh, in my future uh, training, I'm planning on going to the uh, Rangers, and wanted to know uh, what I could expect as far as uh, future Ranger training based on what's going on with the world right now. Yeah, you, one good thing about the Rangers, uh, I had the, the privilege to command a Ranger Regiment, uh, one of the greatest jobs I've ever had in, in my service. Uh, Rangers are a strike outfit. Uh, they don't uh, do a lot of uh, post support and other details. They just train, and then they just deploy for missions. And you will deploy more than any other force probably on the, in the United States Army. Uh, and do strike operations, ambushes, raids, rescue operations in American facilities or, or down members. As you know, some of the casualties we had from the recent fight in Afghanistan, the guys that went in after the Navy SEAL that went down, that was grabbed by the Al-Qaeda and assassinated. The rescue force was a combat search and rescue element manned by Rangers, and Rangers, uh, several Rangers were lost in that, in that rescue fight. Uh, you're going to have intense training. You're going to have a lot of live fire exercises. There's not going to be any phony baloney in the training that you go through. It's going to be the real thing. And uh, it's going to be the closest thing to combat of any training you receive in your Army career. So you join a great outfit and you will get deployed and you will be involved in real live operations. So uh, again, I envy you. I wish I could start all over again in your shoes uh, because it's, uh, it's, it's a great privilege to be in that kind of unit. Okay, I want to talk to John real quick. A book we just put out in the uh, in, in cooperation with some other people. Go ahead, John. <clears throat> For the Vietnam veterans that may be listening in, uh, we have a new book called The Beast Was Out There. deals with the Battle of Ong Tan, October 17, 1967. That's 35 years ago. Uh, it involved the 2nd of the 28th Infantry of the 1st Division, and Brigadier General Retired Jim Shelton is the author of the book. It's authentic, uh, and it's a great uh, read about infantry battle. Okay, thanks. Uh, I want to go to Lambert. And Lambert, uh, you've been working the show the whole time since September 8th. Yep. Give us some insight. Uh, you know, uh, I have a couple of favorite, uh, actually a few favorite shows. My favorite show, though, uh, Dave, is our first show because we actually hit the ground running. If uh, people knew what it took to put this thing together to produce it and get it on the air, um, you'd have a lot of appreciation for that, but uh, I'd also just like to throw it out there uh, for people listening to pass the word about our show. Uh, join us in the studio so you can see what it's like uh, to produce a radio show, and if you were here tonight, you'd see people running around, waving their hands. <laughs> it's pretty neat. All right. Well, that, I think it's a great show, and, and, and Kenny, don't we have a, uh, we're going to have a special song tonight. We're going to have a song here made famous by Glenn Miller, Major Glenn Miller, excuse me, from World War II. Um, and it's, uh, Mark, you're going to give us the, the uh, privilege to, you're going to sing it for us, right? Yeah, I'll sing it for you. All right, here. my man. All right, hit it. Everybody a nice, uh, happy new year besides the birthday boy. When I hear that serenade in blue, I'm somewhere in another world alone with you Sharing all the joys we used to know 
many moons ago. Once again, your face comes back to me, just like the theme of some forgotten melody in the album of my memory. Serenade in blue. Happy New Year from all of us here at the Veterans Radio Seems Center. Like only yesterday. But you remained in my heart so. Tell me, darling, is there still a spark? Or only lonely ashes of the flames we knew? Should I go on whistling in the dark? Serenade in blue. Thank you. Here, we're live. We're going. We're still on the air. Oh, yeah. We're interneting across the world right now. We lost our 82 we, stations. We had, to run off, we had to run off the dance floor to get back to the Yeah, table. but Lambert, you know, <laughs> uh, those that are still on the uh, chat room, we had to get up to dance for a while. I'm sorry. It's that kind of a show. You know, you just get in the mood to do something, we just do it. We got a, a quick chat room I want to bring in for General Dave, uh, besides all the people sending happy birthdays and Carol and Fozzie and everyone. Uh, somebody called They Shall Not Pass. That's his code name here. My father met Ernie Pyle in World War II in Okinawa. G.I. Joe now has a 1-6 scale Ernie Pyle doll, complete with a typewriter. <laughs> Perhaps we should get Hasbro to make General Grange doll. A stocking stuff. No, 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 no. Yeah. But I, I, no. Are we hot here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I think it's great that Ernie, that the Ernie Powell, uh, that's out. That's that is that's super. I want. How about this other one here? Because um, I want John Botta. Uh, he's done some work in this uh, about um, close air support. They're talking about uh, that. Uh, there's some problems with the use of closed air support today, and maybe some of that capability went away from what we had in Vietnam uh, in, with the, the current uh, capabilities of the Air Force and their, and their platforms. I don't know, John, if you, if you want to comment on that or not. Well, uh, coordination between ground and air has been a problem for a long time. Um, certainly in World War II, you had great difficulty in, in coordinating uh, the delivery of ordnance from aircraft. Uh, even in World War I, you know, they, they were working very primitively on that problem. Uh, in Vietnam, we learned by doing, of course, and uh, but I would say today our technology is so much superior uh, in communications as well as in terms of ordnance. So I, uh, I'm not sure you can measure that uh, uh, very accurately, but uh, it is it is a problem. I think it goes back to when you forget, uh, and and we don't train up during peacetime. You, for, you lose these skills, and I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, and I think part of the, you know, they were trying to phase out the A-10s, and in fact, the uh, comment here is uh, on A-10s, uh, I mean, I like A-10s. Um, they were going to be phased out, and of course, the first desert, well, when, I shouldn't say first because we haven't had the second yet, <laughs> but, when, <laughs> but when Desert Storm uh, happened, the A-10s were on the way out, and uh, of course, they brought them back in. In fact, my unit, that's all we had. I should say that's all we had, but that 90% of our hits were A-10s. Uh, that was a private little air force that brought the stuff in close to us. Um, there's another comment here on the internet. Uh, I'll tell you what. Oh, we can't go to. I don't know if Jay Greeley's on the uh, internet or not. No, he's on the phone. He's on the phone. We can't. Yeah. Can we get him? Yeah. See if you can get Jay Greeley. Jay, are you there with us? Yes. Hey, thanks for hanging for an hour. Hey, it's okay. <laughs> That's all right, because you were. You're probably. You're, you know, it's like a century. You know, the three general orders, right? That's right. Now, Jay, uh, you're in Northern Virginia. Right. Okay. Uh, I think you told me the other day you got mobilized. Well, I'm I'm waiting for uh, uh, orders. Uh, the packets in, and uh, they're talking about uh, Third Army. Uh, Doing what? Hot. What are you going to do? 
Uh, G3 Aviation, probably working in an aviation slot over there. Yeah, I know Jay from uh, Bosnia. He was in the three shop with us yeah. in the Task Force Eagle. Good soldier, yeah. and uh, appreciate his uh, his service and team team uh, hey, spirit. You're talking about the A-10s, just really quickly. Yeah. The Wisconsin National Guard had A-10s, and I ran the JAT school up at Fort McCoy. From Tell everybody what JAT is. Some not everybody knows Joint what JAT is. Air attack team tactics that we developed in the 82nd back, oh, around uh, 82, 83. And then uh, we came up there and we taught the uh, four states there, Illinois, Iowa, uh, Minnesota, Michigan, uh, guys on how to use that. Now, the A-10s and the uh, Cobras came right out of Madison, and we would fly up there, shoot uh, two or three sorties, come back, and uh, out-brief right there at Dane County Airport. And uh, some of us would stay up there. We'd have a contingent that'd stay up there to, you know, do you do the guns, you know, and stuff like that, or crew chiefs. No, it was excellent uh, training, but we kept running into uh, kind of like the Air Force saying that, uh, you know, they, they just didn't see us being able to pack in their people. And yet we proved that it was excellent. You could bring them right in, and then you could cover their brakes. And the A-10s are what a perfect um, close-in air support weapon system. Let me, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask John because, and, and uh, let's do it for Iraq. And I'm not going to answer it because I'm tired of answering on CNN. Yeah. So someone else, <laughs> you two guys can answer it. Uh, here's a question from CD on the uh, internet. I have a question. Uh, what is, his, you know, you want to ask me, what's my take on the Iraqi threat? Personally, don't see one. And I'm not in favor of committing troops in any form. I see it as a blatant adventurism. Maybe. I don't know. But I, I like, uh, since you were just mobilized possibly for Iraq, what's your opinion, Jay, on that comment? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, this is personally my opinion. Well, of course. Uh, but uh, the way I would look at it is, is, is that uh, I think that, you know, 30 days of, uh, of heavy bombing could be followed by another 30 days, and I think they'd beat him into the submission. That's not his question. His question, ride. no, his question is, uh, really, should we do Iraq or not? What's the deal? Why do we, is this not, is not blatant adventure, adventurism? Why, no, why are we doing no, it? No, I don't see it that way at you all. You don't? What do you see it as? No, I see it. Uh, we've got a situation that's just, uh, I think, as untenable as North Korea is. I, I think, are we going to allow these people to have this type of weaponry? and bring it to our doorstep, I, I think we need to think about that. I think there was always an agreement, uh, you might say, with the Soviets, we had mutual assured destruction. So it kind of was a mute point. Um, but uh, I think if you've got some rogue nation or individual who is super empowered instead of a superpower, um, now we've got a different situation. If you're going to hand them superpower weapons, whether it be plutonium or anything, you know, that's uh, weapons of mass destruction. That's All right, let me stuff. let me cut I mean, you off for a second. Uh, Tom Rendell, you there? Yeah. Your yes, your failure to repair your FTR tonight here. No, I was I was there last week. I'm taking. No, I'm not talking about last week. I'm talking about tonight. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah Are right. we on? Yeah, you're on. Okay. Yeah, the whole Go world there. the whole world is listening to your. FTR excuse, but that's all right. Okay. What I want to ask you, Tom, is, as a strategist and a military historian, and also as the paramilitary uh, commission guy uh, in our past lives, uh, you heard you heard what Jay was answering about Iraq. I heard part of it. I had to step up. Okay. The question is: uh, Is this is this uh, a blatant adventurism, or is this uh, should do we have a reason to go into Iraq or not to commit troops? And not only, of course, not only we should go, or we should be prepared to go, and the only way to be prepared to go is actually to mobilize and do the things necessary. It's what we would call flexible. Go ahead. Are you there? Okay. We Information on the cell phone. Information like warfare. Flexible deterrent, but yeah. I wouldn't want to put words in it. Well, he may come back. I, I, we got him that he's, uh, the line is open, but we lost him. Okay, I'm going to go to historian John Votaw for that same one. I think Tom was on the right track there. The, um, generally, what we use is uh, the closest snake rule. Uh, in other words,
words, uh, you go after the snake that's going to bite you first. I'm going to uh, steal that, John. Would you steal that? Yeah. Go ahead and steal that. I like that, that closest that. snake thing. Yeah. Uh, you always they, like, they like words like yeah, that. You, you, always, you always deal with the most immediate threat, and being prepared uh, to deal with it is the key to it. And the key to being prepared is good intelligence. And uh, that is probably, I'm hoping, is where we're putting our, our best effort right now. You know, there's a lot of talk, John, about uh, North Korea. And uh, many of us have served in Korea, South Korea. Uh, the older guys, North Korea too, uh, like my dad. But um, you know, a lot of talk now is that you know, what's the what's the real threat? Is it Iraq or is it North Korea? Or why are we focused on the closest snake and not maybe the biggest danger? Uh, your comments on North Korea? Well, I think you have to look historically at the Koreans, uh, both the north in the north and the south. Uh, certainly, unification is something that's on the horizon. It's of interest to all Koreans. And uh, the only thing that's in the way is a uh, sort of a repressive throwback government in the north. Yeah, I think uh, North Korea uh, spends 37 percent of the GMP on, uh, on weaponry, on their military. Right. Well, they have 800,000 to a million men under arms. No one knows exactly what the quality of that is. They say it's the third largest army in the world now. But we used to say a few years ago that Iraq had the fourth largest army in the world. Yeah. Sizes and everything. Right. And the other thing about North Korea, though, one thing about the North Korean military that, I'll, that I uh, always think about when someone says about fighting them, uh, no matter how, how, how advanced their technology is and their weaponry and uh, their leadership, their training and that, they're tough. It's a mass land army. Yeah, they're tough. But they, they you know, this, the weather outside right now tonight, that doesn't bother them. Eat one meal a day, that doesn't bother them. They don't have cappuccino stands in their forward deployed bases. You Again, know. I'm hoping our national security team isn't underestimating that. Yeah. I don't think they are. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's why we pay the president the big bucks to yeah. figure these things out. And and uh, and they're all this stuff dug in along north of the DMZ in the mountains. They're just tough to get at, tough to get out and kill. And uh, there's no doubt that the United States, if we went to war in North Korea, would defeat them. It just, I would rather fight. Uh, the Iraqis, personally, the North Korean well, soldiers. There's a major difference in geography, too. Yeah. You know, Korea is a, kind of a nasty place, particularly from the middle on up. Right. Yeah, it's, it's tough terrain, tough people, and, and that. Now we got Tom back. Tom, yep. you, you got communications? No, I, I'm not failing to repair. I repaired my phone. I'm back on. But, yeah, I wanted to just, uh, in the Iraq thing, may I still answer that question? Or yeah, please. We, 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 we're waiting for it. Yeah. You know, the... The thing is that diplomacy is great, but it's just talk unless you back it up with economic, informational, and, and military backbone. And in this case, the, the fact that we mobilized and we moved and we've played the information game and we've done some economic work has all bolstered every effort that the president's made. Uh, it's brought the international community in line, as, as people knew that it would, those that were informed, I think. Uh, it's very cagey diplomacy. We have always thought that if we ever ended up in a war, in fact, it was a possibility the last time with Iraq, that North Korea might start some trouble. And gee whiz, here we are. Well, I mean, good thing we've been practicing the last uh, decade or so thinking about uh, two medium uh, theater wars, which is uh, what the uh, SecDef uh, said the other day. You know, we're prepared to do that. Uh, win, hold, win. And uh, I think that uh, they've got it all together. Again, you know, uh, if you think about Clausewitz, if you even think about Sun Tzu, you know, to defeat the enemy without fighting is the acme of skill, which Sun Tzu would say. Clausewitz would say that uh, war is an extension of policy by other means, and, and in those two things are both in play here and, and in the North Korean example. The interesting thing about the Iraq deal, if Iraq was to change to a, a, an Islamic democracy, if that's possible, and, and no one knows that it is, but Turkey is close, and Afghanistan is moving in that direction. Imagine the, the whole of Islam with a belt across it of, of semi-democratic states. Uh, you would have a major change, and, and what Islam is evidently, in my mind anyway, having to head for if it wants to be a, a modern uh, religion is something like a reformation, although there is no Islamic Martin Luther. You know, um, you mentioned Clausewitz and Sun Tzu, which our military leaders have read and study. Of course, bin Laden and uh, Saddam have read Unrestricted Warfare by the sure. two Chinese colonels. So have I. And uh, same, and uh, as you know, and um, they're following, you know, which actually the unrestricted warfare is really an extension, wouldn't you say, of, of Sun Tzu to some extent. Sure. 
sure it but is. But anyway, um, uh, that's really uh, their doctrine, right? Yes, I, I, I think so. But it's in many cases, just reading it and then attempting to apply it, when you haven't been steeped in uh, what it is that, that allows you, me, and a lot of other folks that we know to be able to do these things uh, without really thinking about it. It's almost instinctive. That's not where bin Laden is. That's not where uh, Saddam is, as General Schwarzkopf said during the last time we went up against him. Um, these people are, are good at what they do, and they're able to pick on civilians. They're able to, you know, intimidate their neighbors. But that's the issue for us. Uh, we bring something different to the table. And uh, unfortunately, people just forgot about it. They don't remember Tarawa. They don't remember Saipan. They think in terms of uh, Mogadishu or uh, anything else that we've done recently, and, and now they're having to learn the lesson all over again, as are we. Yeah. Okay, we got a couple of minutes left. Uh, I'm going to go to John Bota. John, by the way, have you read, have you read that uh, book, Unrestricted Warfare? No, I, I don't know that book. Yeah, it's by two retired Chinese colonels that uh, actually took credit for 9-11. Uh, what they what they printed in there how to attack America how to how to bring well, America to the after, after events have happened you know you can go back and find all kinds of things uh, a lady by the name of Roberta Wolstetter a historian did that with the uh, Pearl Harbor attack and of course you can find the indications for the attack uh, within this haystack uh, but uh, picking them out at the time is a, is another matter yeah uh, I was just going to say that we have to be a little careful I think in terms of uh, thinking about Islam uh, in the same way that we used to think about communism, sort of attributing a monolithic uh, character to it, all marching in lockstep, everybody responding to uh, the signals of others. Um, I like to read uh, what Tom Friedman writes in the New York Times from time to time. He seems to understand that part of the world very well and can give us some useful insights into it. Clausewitz also said that in war all things are simple, but even the simplest thing becomes the hardest. Yeah. Uh, difficult hardest, yeah. Uh, Lambert or, or Lance, uh, any closing comments? We got about a minute left here on the internet. Nothing, Dave. I just I, I wanted to say thanks for uh, uh, being our friend for the last six months and uh, meet, finally meeting Dave and finding a great guest host for the show. I, you know, just with uh, with no advertising and and just the grassroots efforts uh, that we've done so far, uh, with the uh, listening audience that we have in the inter internet base and. Uh, the radio stations and, and so on and so forth. I hope that uh, everybody uh, around America gets a chance to uh, learn a little bit more about uh, the veterans uh, from all wars. And uh, uh, our hats off to you guys. And really, Dave, thanks. Thanks well, a lot. Well, th thanks to you for coming up with the idea and, and uh, making it happen. Uh, it's a great show. Do we have any idea of the? Hey, thanks to my tonight? father who was here. Oh, that's uh, right. World War II vet. That's yeah. why. Uh, you know, yeah. we used to sit and look at these old pictures from World War II. He used to come back, and my dad, Ralph Pack, China Burmese theater. Yeah, we got to have him on one of these you mean days. That too. cosmic kid. Right, right, right. <laughs> we can tell some old stories about India and all that. But anyway, just you know, as kids growing up and trying on his uniform and you know, do all that kind of stuff. People need to remember these kind of gangs. So. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you know how many? Uh, countries tonight do we have anything on that? Uh, I think Mark is trying to find out now. Uh, 57. 57. We 57 went up one. Countries. Okay, so 57 countries tonight. That's great. Internet and listening to us and some of them coming in on the chat room. We've we got to get them more attuned to how to get onto the discussion board so they can chat with us. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to thank Kenny also. I'm going to run back to the board and run the music, but anyway, thanks a lot, Kenny, for all your help and support. Too. You're welcome. But before you leave, though, we should, <laughs> does uh, General Dave, do you ever know if you didn't take this <laughs> or what should I call it, this hosting position. Um, do you know who we had in mind instead of you? Um, Reagan. <laughs> you mean uh, Old Sarge? Old Sarge yeah, Reagan? Of course, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, Old Sarge, for those of you who haven't been here before who don't know, he, he's, uh, he, he's got his own radio show in Florida called uh, the Veterans Forum. No, I think it was uh, Adrian What's, how do you say his last name? Cronauer. Good morning. Good morning. Right? But we're sure glad you uh, happen to live around the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's fun. I, I really enjoy it. It's a chance to get out there. And a, lot, a lot of those uh, 56, seven countries uh, are retired uh, GIs working for contractors overseas, mm -hmm. and some are GIs. And by the way, some are the enemies of our country. Right? And that's good. I know we, we, had had four, uh, we want them to hear what we're talking about. <laughs>
Right, we had four Dylans from Afghanistan a couple of weeks ago. I was wondering if there were Iraqis trying to ask you questions. Huh? Yeah, well, <laughs> we're, hey, we're open. Uh, I don't see them on the. Well, some of these names I can't understand. Maybe so, Mark. <laughs> the show's going to keep. Uh, it's going to keep getting bigger and better. Uh, we're going to keep expanding. We uh, hope you guys keep spreading the word. We would like to encourage and invite everybody to come and uh, be a part of our studio audience. And uh, pretty soon, I think we're going to have a video. A portion of our broadcast so not only can you hear us uh, live um, across the country on radio stations and around the world on the internet but you'll also be able to watch our radio show but I believe the camera is only pointing to one person General Dave <laughs> right but he just doesn't know we're, we're gonna play like it's on you we're playing <laughs> musical chairs every week so yeah. <laughs> all right well thank you very much uh, the chat room everybody that stayed on the show with us John Vota, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, really, really appreciate your insights. And uh, again, it's a pleasure to be a part of this great team. And on our, on our best of show, I'd like to uh, just throw it out there to uh, Mr. Carl King, who uh, puts our show together. Wow. Let's give him oh, a big Thank you, Lamb. You're the guy. Yeah, a lot of this couldn't take place, especially the pressure we put on him consistently. <laughs> and I'm going crazy because of it. He's right. <laughs> Okay. Where are we at? We, we fired the grunts. We hey, had to wait, get didn't Sergeant Grunt just walk in? I think Sergeant Grunt just walked in. <laughs> you know, you know, General, sir. Uh, I, I just have to tell you one thing. Incoming always has the right of way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sergeant Grunt sounds, sounds a little nasally tonight, doesn't he? Uh, uh, he's just too <laughs> profound for all of us. We're out of here once again. Happy Thanks. New Year. It's been a good 202. We look forward to you at 203. First show, the Rangers. Second show, we're going to be with the USO. Our third show on ROTC. And the fourth show, we're going to talk about the war in Iraq. Is it here? Happy New Year, everyone, from the Veterans Radio Center Studios. I'm Carol King. Good night.